Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Good morning again. Really glad to be back with you. Glad to be back in the book of Genesis, and uh, we're in chapter 24. I've been looking forward to this chapter. Um, I hope you're looking forward to it too. You should know. Um, just a cautionary warning. This is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. So I'm going to work on getting through this in the time allotted to me. Uh, I pray that the Lord allows that. But in order for that to happen, um, I just need to kind of jump on in. So let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and jump in at Genesis chapter 24. Father God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would make these words come alive in our heart, Lord, that they would be words that not only enlighten us, Lord, but invigorate us, empower us, motivate us, Lord, to walk after you and to experience the joy of your salvation. So, Lord Jesus, we yield ourselves now to you, that you would have your way with us, according to your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. By a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever ridden a camel? Wow, I'm impressed. There's probably... Not quite a dozen, but there's a handful of you. Well, we're going to talk about camel riding, but that's not where we start. We start at verse 1 of chapter 24. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Just to kind of put it in context here, uh, Abraham's about 140 years old at this point, right? He was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and so Isaac in this passage is going to be about 40 years old. We're going to get a little bit more of that information. You can break it down in the next chapter as to where I get that information. But it's interesting, we're looking at Abraham, we're in the Toledot, we're in the history of Abraham, and we're in the part of the history where Abraham has the son, the promised son, Isaac. We read about his birth, and then in chapter 22, God started painting a picture for us of what his son Jesus Christ would do in our place, that beloved son, his only son, who would go to the cross of Calvary, Mount Moriah, where we read in chapter 22 that Abraham took Isaac up to be the sacrifice. But then God said, I will see myself as the sacrifice. And in fact, 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ hung from the cross of Calvary, same place that Abraham took Isaac to be that sacrifice. And we watch Isaac as a type of Christ. This is a picture of who God the Father is, who God the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who Jesus' bride is. It's, all, it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter, chapter 24 here, uh, as God gets a bride for Isaac. But it's interesting in this picture type. Then in chapter 23, we read last week where Sarah died, and Aaron bought a cave in Machpelah and had Sarah buried there. And in that, there's more typology, there's more pictures. God is continuing to paint the picture of His story for us, and it's a picture of Sarah, the bride of Abraham, died and was buried in the promised land. But in the chapter before, Isaac, the promised son, the seed through whom all the world would be saved, was offered up as a sacrifice. At that point, the next chapter, Sarah died. Sarah being bride of Abraham, just as Israel, God says, is his wife in the Old Testament. And it's a picture that when Christ comes and dies for the sins of the world, then Israel's story moves off stage. It doesn't end, but it moves off stage. Sarah is buried. And now we come to chapter 24, where while Jesus Christ, that picture that Isaac paints for us, is in heaven, God sends His Holy Spirit to get a bride for 
Isaac, and that's what this story is all about in chapter 23. It's kind of interesting. You might have heard a picture is worth a thousand words. Have you ever heard that? And there's a lot to be said to that, right? You can say a couple things, but you draw a picture and it tells so much. We just had communion. Leonardo da Vinci, back in the 1400s, drew a picture, okay? He painted it on the refractory wall of the Covenant of uh, Santa Maria de Grassi uh, in Milan, Italy, right? But he tried a new technique at the time. Um, instead of painting on wet plaster, as the artists of his era did, he tried a new type of paint, tempera paint, and he painted it on a dry plaster. And as we know, it didn't last a long time. In fact, Within years, it was already starting to flake and and fall off. But little-known interesting story about this picture, you know, you can tell a lot about a picture. It's worth a thousand words, and that is a picture that Da Vinci did of the Last Supper, Christ and His disciples having communion together. And there's so much in that. It's fun to just Google it and look it up, all these interesting details about it. Um, But one of the things we know about it that's really interesting to me is that through x-rays, they've been able to see that he started and then he painted over the first painting. And the story goes like this. As he painted this amazing fresco on the dining hall there at the convent, uh, he had painted himself as Jesus. He had used himself as the model for Jesus. And then he used this reprobate, his, his chief enemy, the person that just he didn't like the most in the world, guess who he used to be, he used him to be a model for? Judas, right? And, and the story goes that he painted, he finished the painting, and he looked at it, and he was really displeased, and he just, he had this check in his spirit, and there was something not quite right. And through wrestling with the Lord and prayer, he came back and he repainted those faces. And instead of painting his face as Jesus, he painted his face as Judas, And he painted his enemy in the face of Jesus Christ, giving him honor. And that's part of the interesting story of that. A picture's worth a thousand words, but you can almost learn more about the artist who painted it than even what's in the picture. And in this picture of Jesus Christ, a type of Isaac, and getting a bride, the church, for Jesus Christ, we learn a lot about God the Father. And so we always want to look for the, the strokes, the, the, the art that God has put into this passage uh, as we look through these chapters together. So, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, probably 140, which in their generation, remember, they're not living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Nevertheless, they live quite a long time. Abraham is now 140. Isaac would have been 40 years old. Um, and Abraham was blessed in all things. Verse 2, so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. He wanted to make sure that his son, the promised child, the seed through whom deliverance of the whole planet earth, Jesus Christ, would come, he wanted to make sure he got a good bride. So he says, go back to my family, my relatives, and get somebody from our stock. Make sure that you get a good bride for her. It's kind of interesting in this, and I'm going to set some things up. It'd be fun to teach the whole thing just as it is on the paper, and then come back and fill in uh, maybe New Testament application on it. But I'm going to kind of do it as we go. And one of the first things you want to notice is that Eliezer, or I mean, not, I, I just, not Eliezer, the servant is a picture of the type of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does when the Father sends the Holy Spirit to find a bride for Christ, He sends the Holy Spirit to us. We are that bride. Okay, and this is the mission. Now, I, I tripped up and I said Eliezer. We, we do read back in chapter 15, verse 2, that the chief uh, st- uh, steward servant of Abraham, his name was Eliezer, but that was like 60 years earlier. So it may or may not be Eliezer, but it's interesting because the name Eliezer means God is my help. He's my helper. And as we're going to see unfold in this picture this type of Christ, this story of the bride of Christ, how this all plays out. We read in John chapter 14 at verse 7, um, 
I'm sorry, that's not the right verse. Um, chapter 14, verse 15 and 16, Jesus says, In the upper room, after they had done taking communion, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper. God is my help. He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. It goes on, Jesus says further in chapter um, 16 at verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send Him to you, okay? And there's, there's that, that picture that's de- being developed here in the Old Testament, God sending His servant, the Holy Spirit, Abraham sending His servant, which remains unnamed. And it's very interesting that as we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, we know the Father, we know the Son, but the Holy Spirit, we don't really tag a name onto Him. And sometimes it's very difficult. We don't even refer to Him as a Him sometimes. It's an it or something like that because we just feel like we can't know Him. But He's anonymous. He always works behind the scenes. He works in the hearts of people. And one of the things I think that's interesting in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, as He works in your life, He'll never take the credit. He always says, I always speak of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Holy Spirit always speaks of Jesus Christ. And so, the Spirit is sent, the oldest uh, of the one. He's God's helper. and um, He ruled over all that He had. And so, Abraham says to his servant, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites of whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. This is a solemn vow, okay? I adjure you. I'm going to hold you to this. And he does this in a way that you would understand if you were from the ancient Middle East, it's not a way that we normally would take an oath. Nowadays, we'll like raise our hand and, you know, put our hand on a stack of Bibles, or maybe we'll shake hands as an oath, but there's other ways to take oaths. And this business of putting your hand under your thigh is odd, but it's meant to be very impactful. And when, it, when they say under my thigh, as you look at that word for thigh throughout the Old Testament, it's translated loins or even the procreative organ. Now, not to get too weird because that sounds really weird. And to us, it is really weird. But the point is, and you need to understand that this is a vow that you're going to make that has to deal with my seed. The, the promised one, the deliverer of all mankind, and you have to take this vow, and it's got to happen. So Abraham has his servant perform this vow and holds him to accountable that you will find a wife for my son, because I'm old. I don't know that I'm going to live till you get back and find this bride, but I, I need you to get out and, and get it done, and you have to promise me that you're going to follow through on that. I have a little side note in this, um, that in, this, in the Scriptures, we don't want to be unequally yoked. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, we need to be looking for a bride, a groom, a spouse that is of the same nature as we are. And as Christians, we are a new creation. So you don't want to be getting yoked up with non-Christians. And, and, and on another angle, I, I always think it's important just as God made his servant take this oath for this bride, we should be praying for the future spouses of our kids. From the day that our kids are born, little Isla, uh, our newest granddaughter in the family, just a month old, I think yesterday, we're already praying for who her husband might be, should the Lord tarry. Probably no bigger, more consequential thing you will do in your life than figuring out who you will Mary, and who you will go through life as one with. Biggest deal, it needs a lot of prayer. And so, God makes him take this oath. Um, But Abraham said, verse 6, beware that you do not take my son back there. No going back. We need to be going forward, right? 
there's a lot of times Abraham's learned his lesson. He's 140 years old. How many times has he circled around to Gerar, circled around to Egypt, gone around in circles, and he's saying, I don't want this same thing to befall my son. Make sure that you go get a bride and bring her back here, but do not take my son there. Verse 7, the Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And it's interesting. It's, it's kind of fun. I have a little note in the margin of my Bible. But in this, we see Abraham as a picture of the Father commanding his servant, a picture of the Holy Spirit, that you must do it this way. This is my will. I am the Lord. I am the Master. I am sovereign. It must be done this way. And we refer to that theologically in the church as the sovereignty of God. God is the creator, sustainer, uh, judge of all heaven and earth. God says it. It happens. God is fully sovereign. He's the total ruler. Nobody changes God's word on him. And yet, it says in the next couple verses, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. And in that, we see that this woman who he's going to get as a bride has a choice to receive Isaac, a picture of Jesus Christ, as her groom or not. She can reject him. And we see here, and it's very interesting, the sovereignty of God in one verse and the free will of man in the next verse right next to each other. And it's one of the things that the church struggles with, you know. On our uh, bulletin, on the back of the bulletin, we talk about who we are, and it says we are not a denominational church, nor are we opposed to denominations as such, only their overemphasis of the doctrinal differences that have led to the division of the body of Christ. If you, want, if you ask me, Mike, straight up, do you believe in the sovereignty of God. Almighty God, what He says goes, period. I will say yes, amen. Absolutely. God is absolutely, totally sovereign. Then you might say, well, then what about man's free will? Do we even get to choose God, or are we just some kind of robot, and He just pushes a button, and we repeat, I love you, God, and we follow Him? Or not. If we haven't been chosen by God, can we do anything to change our destiny? And I would say, you know, God has given us a free will to choose Him or reject Him. Well, how does that work? I can tell you, I don't know 100%. I, I use something like pitching a tent. If you've ever pitched a pup tent, you've got guy lines going down on both sides, and you've got a pole in the middle. And you can't hold the pole up with one rope. You need opposing tension, dynamic tension. You need both of those to hold the tent up. And in so much of what we do as a Christian walk, God is completely sovereign and He gives us a choice. How does that work? I can't figure it out, but God, that's easy for Him. He's God. And anytime you think you've got it all figured out, you're thinking you're playing God. It's kind of fun. We were teaching this the last time we were together as a church in Genesis chapter 24. We were on the Rupert Town Square about, it's almost like eight years ago or something like that. And I remember that passage right here that we're teaching this morning was the first time Warren Michelle ever walked into the church. And they had been coming from a church, and the church was struggling with the issue of what they call Calvinism, the sovereignty of God, and Arminianism, uh, man's free will, and all this kind of stuff. And right there, we're teaching through this, and there it is. It's the sovereignty of God, the free will of man. They're both in the Bible. We are not pushing a denominational emphasis, we believe you should let the Word of God speak for itself. And then you work with it. And if there's parts of the Word of God that are a little bit difficult for you, that's all right. You're not God. They're, they are can be chewy. Put it in your heart and work on it, but take it at face value. And that's what we see here. Um, 
kind of a, it's just a fun memory for me as we were going through this. It's like, wow, all that's in there. But God, or, or Abraham, sends his servant, says, uh, get me a bride, take a vow, and, uh, but if she says no, then she doesn't have to go with you. Verse 10, then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed for all his master's good were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show me kindness to my, show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Wow, that's a big order. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. I've used this word kindness now several times as we've gone through this. It's the Hebrew word chesed, and this is the key word to this chapter. Chesed is loving kindness or mercy as it's often translated in the Bible. It's love. In fact, it's the word that God chooses most to describe Himself. When He introduces Himself as Yahweh, God, to Moses on the mountain, He says, I am chesed. I am merciful. I am kind. And this is the heart of God in this picture. You can see the brush strokes of the master as he paints this picture of getting a bride for his son and the love that's in all of this. But here, the servant, he takes his camels. He takes 10 camels. I asked you guys earlier, have you ever rode a camel? I'm not really going to unfold that too much, but it's interesting. The servant has at his disposal all of his master's goods. He takes 10 camels. Now, I'm going to throw this out to you just to chew on. It's rather interesting, and there's something to it. But remember, I already said chapter 24 or 23 had to do with the death of Sarah and Sarah being buried as a type, as a picture of Israel now remaining in the promised land, and the servant is going out of the promised land to find a bride and bring her back with the ten camels. And it's kind of a witticism, don't go too far with this, but it is provocative that the ten camels could in some ways represent what we would say are the ten commandments. It's a picture of Israel. And the Holy Spirit goes with the message that God gave to Israel to the whole world, live this way and prosper. These are the commandments for having a happy, holy, healthy life, okay? I know it's just, it's kind of a little, um, I, I, I don't know, it's obviously taking liberties, but it's very provocative when you think about it. So he takes these 10 camels to go find a bride. He gets to Haran. Now, this is about 400 miles away, uh, four to 500 miles away, several weeks journey by camel. And on that camel, he's got all the provisions and all of his helpers. And he pulls up to Haran, to the well, you know, it'd be like going into the gas station or the truck stop, you know, we've got to water our camels, right? And he's waiting to see who comes out to the well, and he's praying, he's interceding, he's asking the Father, please, Lord, let that woman who comes out to the well and gives me a drink and then also offers to water my camels, let her be the one that you've sent for me. Do you ever pray prayers like that? You know, sometimes we call that throwing down a fleece, okay, like out of the story in Judges of Gideon. Lord, if it's really you, show me these things. Now, we need to be careful. We don't want to tempt God. We don't want to test God. But at the same time, have you ever prayed the prayer, how do I know it's really you, God? Well, God not only will answer your prayers so you know it's Him, but He also gives you the prayer to pray, so that when you open your mouth and pray it, then He answers it, and you're like, wow, where did that prayer come from? Well, the Scriptures teach us in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit gives us utterances that we can't even pronounce. He places prayer in our heart. And here the servant, a picture of the Holy Spirit, prays this prayer, this crazy prayer, only so God can get the glory when He answers it. And so what happens? The women come out to the well, and the first one that comes out there, a lady by the name of Rebecca, comes out to the well 
to water the camels. Um, it says in verse 15, And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Answered prayer. How many times, and I know people when you're baby young in Christ, you're young in your walk with the Lord, you're not familiar with church or religion or prayer or how to pray. We've been going over these things in core Christianity. They're meeting again after the service today if you want to get some basic 101s on the Christian walk and learn about these things. But how do I pray and do I pray out loud? And many people are very comfortable to pray out loud, but you're, you're missing a super blessing when you don't pray out loud. And it, it, it works like this. God puts this thing in your heart to pray. You know, I'm just going to pray quietly for that. Well, you can. And then God answers the prayer. And you're like, wow, He answered the prayer. Did you see that? He answered my prayer. And people are like, what prayer? You're just making it up. Or pray out loud. And everybody hears you pray and goes, what are you thinking, Tony? And then God answers, and everybody goes, wow, Tony, what happened? It's the Holy Ghost. And God gets the glory. It's not about you. Do you see how that works? There's a cool dynamic in that. And so he prays that prayer, and it happened before he had finished speaking. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on your shoulder. We touched on this last week. It's in verses 20 through 22. This family that lives in Nahor, Abraham's relatives, he goes up there with the camels, he parks at the well, and Rebekah, who was mentioned back in chapter 23, comes out to the well with her pitcher on her shoulder. Verse 16, now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. She fits the bill. She's of the family. Okay, she's not married. You know, it wouldn't be good if she was married to somebody. And she's, it says, very attractive, beautiful. That's literally what it means. Now, it's interesting in the scriptures, very seldom does God really note the physical attributes of a person. Generally, he would look upon their spirit, their character, their, their, their witness to the world. And yet, God has created us, and in, in this way, he says, Rebecca, she was just like Abraham's wife, Sarah. She was a looker, okay? So here, all the, all, you know, what, a, what an amazing thing. Now, in this, I just, I say that because sometimes we look at ourselves and we don't think too highly of ourselves, especially sometimes our physical appearance. I say the majority of people are not really happy with their physical appearance, there's some that get on the narcissistic side of things, and they think they're, they're God's gift to, you know, humanity. But for most of us, we're not all that pleased with how we look. And yet you do realize you are what God made you to be. He knew what He was doing when He made you. He loves you. When He looks at you, He smiles. He thinks you are awesome. He says that about Rebecca, and we're going to see a little bit more as this develops on, on that idea, but God looks upon you and sees the finished picture. He knows before He started painting your life what it would look like. He knows who you are, and He knows what He's put in you and your future, and that's the picture He's painting. That's what He sees when He looks at you, when He looks at me. And I think there's great encouragement in there. Now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let down her pitcher, down to her hand and gave him a drink. That's just good old common courtesy, right? But it's the first of the two tests. If she'll give me a drink, and then what? Offer to water my camels, Right? Okay, and when she finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw the water, drew for all the camels, and the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Wow, talk about amazing answered prayer. Now, 
in this, there's some things that are just kind of mind-boggling, and you've got to kind of see this as it, it develops. But to give a guy a drink of water, that's a good deed for sure. Nothing wrong with that. To water a camel, that's a different deal. Camels are known to drink 25 to 50 gallons at a serving. Wells back in these days, we've read about many of them so far, are often dug deep into the earth, as deep as 75 feet like Jacob's well in Shechem at the woman in the well. And what they are, they would have a spiral stair or path that would go down to where they finally hit water, and then they would walk down that path to the bottom of the well, fill up their pitcher, and walk back up to the top, and they'd be done if they were getting one pitcher. But if they're going to feed a camel or water a camel, they're going to need to get 50 gallons, let's say 40 gallons. But it's not just a camel, it's 10 gallons. Or 10 camels. So let's say on average she just watered 400 gallons. That's up and down the stairs with one and a half tons of water. Not only was she a virgin, not only was she from the right family, not only was she beautiful, man, she was a hard worker. Something else in this I think that's just interesting to note as we go along the way. The servant looks for a bride for Isaac. The Holy Spirit looks for a bride for Christ at the well. It's interesting that it also worked that way for Jacob. And it also worked that way. Moses met his wife in the wilderness at a well. And it's every. In, every, also interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ met a woman who would be his bride at the well in Samaria in chapter 4. We are all his bride, but it's interesting that you go to the well to look for a spouse. Not the best program to go to the bar <laughs> to look for a spouse. I'm not saying that can't work out. I know of people that have been married now decades and decades and decades, and that's where they met. But we as parents raising our children would say, you know what? You need to go to the well. You need to go to the fountain. You need to go to the springs. What a good pitch for our church. <laughs> but literally and seriously, if you're going to look for a spouse, why would you go out to the singles clubs when you can come to the source of living water, right, and find somebody of that similar heart and disposition? So, she, she waters the camels. It's absolutely amazing. And he sat and wondered whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Wondered there isn't like, hmm, I'm not sure if he made my journey prosperous or not, okay? Obviously, He did, okay? Wonder is to be in a state of awe and amazement. When you wonder at something, it's like God has done something, and you're like, whoa, whoa. He answered that in spades. It's amazing how that answer came to pass. Just a couple years ago, we were out hunting, and I had, um, I had shot my deer, but I lost my deer, and, I, and I'm looking for the deer, and I ended up having to go get a couple buddies. Gabe and Dallas had to go out and help me look for a deer, and we had to walk back in a couple miles to find where I had shot it, and we got to the bottom of this hill, and it was somewhere in this sea of sagebrush. It was, it was just like, oh, can't, I had looked all, all the evening before it got dark, and I couldn't find it, so Dallas says, hey, because Dallas is a spiritual guy, and he says, let's pray. And, and so Gabe and I, we all pull up together. We get in a little huddle like that. We take our hats off, and Dallas starts praying. And next thing you know, Gabe's like, hey, what? And Dallas is like, I'm praying. And I'm looking up, and there's this commotion in the bushes. It's only like 15 yards away. And we're like, and all of a sudden, Gabe and I are like, Dallas. And Dallas is like, I'm praying. Wait till I finish praying. And there we were in the middle of praying, and God is answering our prayer because that's where the deer was. 
and, and you know, it, we could have looked, we, we were about to walk right by it and spend all afternoon on the side of that hill. But Dallas was wise enough to pray, and God interrupted our prayer to answer it. And so it's not that he was wondering if God would answer the prayer. He was in wonder. He was in awe. He was amazement. We all sat there looking at each other like, can you believe it? God answered our prayer before we even finished it. And it's like, that's, that's our God. Let me tell you about my Jesus, right? That was just so sweet. So he's wondering. He's in amazement about the prosperity of his journey. Verse 22, so it was when the camel had finished drinking, the man took a gold nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, if there is room in your father's house for us to lodge. So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough to room and lodge. Then the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. Wow. Everything, it's the whole package. It's everything that, that God had promised. That, well, I should say that Abraham had told him to look for, just as God has given us promises in life. And there's going to come a day we're going to be in glory, and we are just going to be beside ourselves, just seeing how absolutely amazingly perfect, above and beyond anything we could dream or imagine, God answered every one of our prayers. And you're like, wow, and we'll just be worshiping Him, just in awe. Um, beautiful picture in all of that. Um, and so she says, yeah, and, and by the way, bring your camels, we'll feed them. The man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy. That's that word again, mercy, love. The Old Testament has said the nature of God, not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her, the mother and told her mother's household these things. I know it's a favorite verse of many of you, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And the servant says, I was on my way, and, and God answered my prayer. And just a small side note, sometimes we're sitting here praying and waiting for the Lord to do something. And the Lord will often <laughs> say, get up and do anything. I can work. It's like moving a car. Have you ever tried to, you know, get a car to turn, especially before we had power steering? It's very difficult when you're doing one mile an hour. You're cranking on that wheel, but you get it up to speed and you can do it with one finger. And God can direct your life so much better if you just start putting one foot in front of the other and trusting Him. The Bible teaches that the just live by faith. You're not always going to have the answer. You're not always going to know the destination. You're not always going to know how things work out. But God has told you how to live a godly life. Do the things that God has told you now. Are you living the way that you know God wants you to live? That's a loaded question. For many of us, we get this little twinge in our, in our soul. There's something I know I'm not doing right. Well, get it right. Get right with the Lord and then just start walking and you will see amazing, wonderful things open up in your life. This is that picture of walking by faith. Verse 29, now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban and Laban ran out to the man by the well. I'm really going to have to go fast if I'm going to get done this morning. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, O you blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. We're going to meet Laban later. This is Rebekah's brother. Laban is a guy who just wants the stuff. He wants the blessing. It's interesting, Rebekah, without any strings attached, no expectation of any kind of award, whatever, blessed this servant who she had never met, but she was just a blessor. She just liked to bless people. Laban, on the other side, is a guy who just wants the blessing. He's not interested in the blessor. He's not interested in the God who rains down blessing. He could care less about that. He just wants the blessing. Two different 
types of people living in the same house, brother and sister, but completely different motives and goals in life. And it's going to play out as we get on through the next handful of chapters. Verse 32, the man came into the house and unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men were with him. That's just general Middle Eastern hospitality. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. Okay, I'm just going to read through this next section because it's a repetition of what we've pretty much already heard. But first things first. And this is one of the things about the servant in this passage, a picture of the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is always about speaking of Christ, speaking about the Son of the Father, speaking about the mission that He's on. And if you truly are walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, manifesting the gifts of the Spirit, it will always be first and foremost the thing that you want to do. And the servant says, sure, we'll eat, but first, I'm about my father's business or about the father's business, if you will. And that's a picture of how we walk with the Lord. So he said, speak on. Verse 34, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear of this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. Okay, so we've heard all that before. He's relating it now to Laban and the family to whom he's come. Verse 42. And this day I came to a well and said, O Lord my God, O O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of the water, and it shall come to pass that when a virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the, mas- whom the Lord appointed for my master's son." But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Melchah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist, and I bowed my head and were Worship the Lord and bless the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or the left. So basically, he's reiterated the whole journey, the whole story in all of this. Interesting, he talks about bringing that, putting that nose gold ring in. It said it was um, a half a shekel. A half a shekel um, is about five grams. Interesting, it's about the weight of the average wedding band, okay? So he gave her a nose ring and a couple gold bracelets uh, of more gold. Quite significant. And in this, we see again a picture of the Holy Spirit and what He does for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read at verse 3, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ.'" And it goes on to enumerate a list of blessings the Holy Spirit has given you, has given me. Things that we were blessed with, just like the servant blessed Rebecca with these things. And one of them were those gold bands. Just like in a wedding ceremony, we exchange the gold bands as a testimony of our vow, our promise, our oath our fidelity to one another, a promise to fulfill that which we are standing before the Lord and making uh, this vow. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter 1, of all the blessings that we've been given, we read in verse 13, in Him 
you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. We have been betrothed. We have been espoused to Jesus Christ. We are the bride, and He has given us that, that ring, but it's not like the gold ring that was given to Rebecca. It's the, the, the Holy Spirit. That's the down payment. That's the deposit that God is going to follow through and finish everything that He has promised for us as His bride until He takes us to heaven to be with Him. And so, kind of a cool picture in all of that. So, we read how this all plays out. Um, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son wife as the Lord has spoken. In this, we see that they did recognize the Lord, God, Yahweh God. They were of the same family. They came down from Adam and Eve and then through the ark, through Noah and down through Shem and their descendants. And they knew of God and they said, this thing must be of God. It could have not happened if it was not of God. So, okay, go ahead. And, and take her to be your wife. Verse 52, And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the, the earth. Wow! Virtually mission accomplished. All he has to do now is throw her on the camel and get back home. Right? Verse 53, Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver and jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. So it just started piling on all these gifts just as God does this with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians talks about gifts of the Spirit, and He pours out all kinds of blessings upon the body of Christ, enabling us to walk that holy life and give testimony to God. Um, but it says, and He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. And this is another uh, thing within the church. As you become blessed, you become a blessing to others. There's just this residual effect. It kind of spills over onto others, and all these blessings just come pouring out upon Rebecca and upon her family as they do upon the bride of Christ and those who know Christians. Verse 54, And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night, and they rose in the morning and said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that, she may go. We're going to see this repeated in a couple chapters here. In uh, Genesis chapter 29 through 31, Isaac's son Jacob will return to Laban to get a bride from Laban, and he'll find Rachel and fall in love with Rachel. But Laban will trick him into working seven years before he can marry his bride. Then, at the wedding, he disguised his other daughter, the eldest daughter, Leah, and gave him to Jacob. When Jacob realized what he had done, it was too late. They were married. He went to Laban and says, what have you done? He says, well, she's my oldest. She needs to get married first. But you can have Rachel just serve me seven more years. And the end of the story is Jacob was with Uncle Laban 20 years trying to get away from Uncle Laban because Uncle Laban craved the stuff that came from God, and he didn't want that spout, that source of blessing, to go away. And so here we see a foreshadowing of it. Uh, let her stay at least 10 days after that she may go. Verse 56, and he said to them, do not hinder me, don't delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. This is so beautiful. She's never met the man, okay? She's never seen her groom. She doesn't have any idea about the place she's going to go. It's a picture of the church. We've never seen Jesus. We've never met our future groom. We really, we've never been to heaven, but we've heard about Him. 
We've heard about His goodness. We've heard about His love, chesed, loving kindness and mercy, His covenantal relationship. And we've heard all these things, and we've espoused ourselves. We've received His Holy Spirit. We look forward to the day when we will be complete with Jesus in glory in heaven. But this picture right now, only knowing what she knew of Jesus was enough, uh, knowing what she knew of Isaac was enough, and she said, I do. I will go. I don't know what you know about Jesus. Some of you are new to me. I don't know your story. I don't know your testimony. I don't know if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, as your groom, as your hope, your promise, your dream. But you can, just like Rebecca. You've heard that God is good and that He has a plan for you, a future and a hope for you. And all you need to do is say, I surrender. I will go with you. I will follow you. I will walk by faith. I want to live with you. And Rebecca did that. And if you would do that in your heart, you would be saved. In fact, I'm going to ask that we as a church, many of us, I know, we've walked with God many years, but we can pray this prayer every single day. And if you want to pray with us, if you want to be part of what God has for your life, you can pray this with us and be like Rebecca and receive your groom. If you will, church, pray after me. Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. I know that you died in my place to pay for my sin, that I could be clean and pure that I'm beautiful in your eyes. I'm pure as a virgin, and I'm ready for you. Come and get me and take me home, that I may walk with you all of the days of my life, both here and forever. Amen? That's our prayer. That's, that was her prayer. She says, I'll go. Verse 25, so they sent... Away, Rebecca, her sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. Like, how many babies do you think she wants to have? This is, you know, her descendants is what they're saying. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Which is a way to say that your life would overcome all adversity and that you would reign in prosperity. We just pray that you would just be blessed in your life with this new groom. Verse 61, then Rebekah and her maids arose and they rode on camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. I had asked before any of you had ridden camels. Raise your hand again if you've ridden a camel. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wow, nice. Okay, that's a pretty good crowd. If you've ridden a camel, you can attest to this. Camels can be interesting to ride. For starters, the way that you get on a camel, they have to bend down to the ground and you climb up on them, but they've got these funny knees that bend in different directions. And when you're sitting on the camel, first you've got to climb up onto the camel. It's a little bit harder than putting your foot up in a stirrup and swinging your leg over. It's a little more work than that. But you finally get on it, and it's time for the camel to get up. So the first thing the camel does is go onto his knees. And you go, whoa, backwards. And then he puts up his back knees. And you go, whoa, and you feel like you're going to fall on your face. And then it goes like this, and you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And finally you're standing up. And that's when it starts getting tricky because it's got these long, weird legs and it has this funny gait. And because of the leverage being that high up, every move that it makes, you're like all over the place. Anybody ride a camel? Am I exaggerating? They're quite a ride, okay? And she got on that camel and rode for three weeks. Back and forth, up and down, back and forth. But this is, again, a picture. The Holy Spirit comes. He brings to you the promise of a son through the nation of Israel, through the Ten Commandments, through the law. If you will minister and live a life that lines up with the law, just like watering those camels, okay? I accept the commandments. I accept the will of God. I accept His plan for my life. And, and I would just love to bless God back. And He says, that's great. 
get on the camel and ride, right? And we ride according to the law of God, according to the love of God, the grace, the mercy of God. But that ride, Christian, is difficult. How many of you ever ridden a horse? A lot more, right? Do you remember learning to ride a horse? Do you know what it's like when you first get on a horse and, and you're bouncing up and down? And you, What do you have to do? You have to kind of learn to relax, loosen up your spine. And if you'll just not, you know, just, it's pretty soon you can do it good. And a lot of you guys compete on horses, and you make it look good. You look like you're perfectly still on top of this horse that's all over the place underneath you, and you're just up there, just all got it down, right? Because you've learned how to ride a horse. I remember when I was young, we grew up in Southern California, and all my family's from Nebraska. We would go back every summer to go to the farm, and we got to ride horses a lot. Well, I remember one of the first mistakes I made in riding horses was being the Southern California boy. I got on the horse, and we rode all day, and I was in a pair of shorts. It seems sounds to me maybe somebody else has done that. And you're going to get rubbed raw in some very tender places. There's a lot that you need to learn about riding a horse, let alone a camel. What's my point? The Christian walk, the Christian life, the Holy Spirit's going to carry you to heaven. You just have to yield to Him. You just got to get on the camel. But if your life feels like it's lurching from time to time, if it feels like it's swaying, if it feels like it's just, you know what you need to do? Relax. Enjoy the ride. You just got to get in the swing of it. And that a lot of people are like people who've never ridden a camel before in their Christian walk. They're like, oh, 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 oh. and it's like, it's going to be a long ride till you learn to settle in and let the Holy Spirit lead you. You have to walk in the Spirit. You have to learn to go at His gate, at His pace. You can't fight against the Spirit. You get in sync with the Holy Spirit. You, you live a life of prayer and communion with God, trusting God, knowing that He's got it. All you need to do is do the things that are right in front of you today. And God will deliver you safely home. So let's go home and finish this. Worship team, come on up. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beher Lahairoi, for he dwelt in the south. Remember, this is the well that we first saw that Hagar was, uh, saw God. And she named the place uh, Lahairoi, Be'er. Be'er is the name for a well, okay? We've seen that before. This one, Lahairoi, means the well of the living one who sees. And it's really interesting because this is a picture. Isaac is a picture of Jesus Christ. Isaac is a picture of that son, that only begotten son, that beloved son who would be sacrificed. And we haven't seen him since because in the picture, Christ is in heaven now, okay? But He sees. He is the living one. He rose from the grave. He ever lives to intercede for us. And what is He doing? He's at the well of the living one who sees. And Isaac went out to meditate. He was praying. Our Lord Jesus Christ ever lives to intercede for us. He's watching us. He's watching us right now. He's watching us ride our camel. He's looking at us. He's praying for us. He loves us. He sees us through this eyes of, man, you are so beautiful. Remember, God is the one who wrote this picture. And sometimes you think about the description of Rebecca, and yet, oh, and it'd be nice if I was that virgin bride, and I'm very beautiful, and I can carry one and a half tons of water up and down the stairs and not even break a sweat. I'm not that person. You are to God. Remember, God's the one painting the picture. God's the one writing your story. And you have to understand, you have to factor in the fact that you may look in the mirror and go, I'm not all that good looking or all that talented or all that gifted or all that lovable. But God paints in the brush strokes of Jesus' blood. You have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. You have been painted into a poem 
to God. You are his masterpiece. You are fantastic. And Jesus Christ is sitting at heaven looking at you right now as you're riding your camel to heaven, and he can't wait for you, and he's praying for you, he's meditating for you, he's waiting for his bride. Do you know that is who you are? It's a beautiful picture here. Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked. There were the camels coming. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's the servant. He's coming with my bride. We get excited because we're going to heaven. How excited Jesus is that we're coming, that there's coming that day. We're going to be with him for all eternity, and he's just excited. Then Rebecca lifted her eyes, and we sh she saw Isaac. She dismounted from her camel. It, it, the King James says she lit off her camel, okay? They used to make jokes about that. It was the first smoking commercial in the Bible. Um, it's a terrible joke. It's not even funny. Um, but if you hadn't heard it, you've heard it now. So, But it literally... <laughs> the translation isn't really lit off or got off. It's literally she fell off her camel is how you would translate the Hebrew word. She saw her bride, her, her groom, and it just knocked her off her camel. It was just, and that's a long ways up. And it just, she just flew off the camel. She was so excited to see him. Can you imagine the day? When we look into Jesus' eyes, the day has come, and we're in heaven, and whoa, I can jump off camels, I can jump off tall buildings, I can, I can do anything now. I'm there with Jesus, okay? And that's kind of her whole heart. Can you see the romance in it? This is just one of those beautiful, beautiful stories where the two couples are running through a flower of a field of flowers, right? And the, the embrace is getting closer and closer, and if the pastor would just stop talking, we could get to the good stuff. Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It's my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. That's the proper way to just meet your future groom, right? With humility and modesty. It's not all about you. And it's interesting that as they come to, to see each other and know each other, God sees beyond the veil. He sees your heart, and He he loves you. And it's interesting here that he walks towards her. And, you know, some people have said, I think I'd be running if I was the groom. Man, that's my bride. I've been waiting. I'd be running. But I have to say, aren't you glad that as Jesus is looking for you and waiting for you, he's patient and he's paced and he's walking? For many of you, you've just come to know the Lord in the last six months or a year. And what if five years ago he was running for his bride and it was all over and you missed the show? But God knows, and He's walking in His perfect time. There's a word for it. It's called God's speed. Not too fast, not too slow, just right. And God is walking. He's walking to you right now. Every minute that goes by, He's getting closer to you. You're getting closer to Him. The distance is closing. Walking in the field to meet us, the servant said, it's my master. So she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He loved her. Again, that's that word chesed, loving kindness, covenantial love, the covenant of a vow, the covenant of the oath, the, the love of the promise of God. He loved his wife. And it's interesting. It says he took her into his mother's tent. Now, remember, his mother was buried. His mother was Sarah. Sarah is a picture of Israel, the bride of God, the wife of God, as Sarah was the bride, the wife of Abraham. But now she's buried, and we move off of that scene onto a new scene where Isaac, the picture of Jesus Christ, brings his bride into that promised land, that perpetual dwelling. God's not done with Israel. We, we're going to see more of that in chapter 25. But it's a beautiful picture of what God has done with His church. And it's interesting, here it is all the way back in the book of Genesis. I keep talking about Jesus in Genesis. He's there on every single page of your Bible. It's all about Jesus. It's all about our groom who's coming to get us, who loves us, 
who has made a plan and a provision for us, Jesus would say, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming to get you that you may be where I am. It's a beautiful story, the story of the wedding from the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve all the way through to the book of Revelation when the Spirit and the bride say, come, come to the fountain and drink and get that living water unto eternal life. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you for the story of Isaac and Rebecca. And, and while we have just glossed over the, the depth of this, uh, it, it even in what little bit we have, it feels like we've been to a wedding feast and are just full, uh, just stuffed and gorged. And yet, we know there is so much more awaiting us, that wedding banquet that you have arranged for us in heaven when you call us home. I pray that as we have been given gifts, that we have been endowed, Lord, by uh, you with all these blessings, that we would now walk our life, we would ride our camel in a way that would uh, just bring joy and harmony to you, that we would enjoy the ride as we walk according to your Holy Spirit, knowing the day is coming very soon where you're going to bring all these pieces together and we'll be safe at home with the love of our life, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.